This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. Again, great to have everyone here today. And as, as we start through with our, with our Easter series, and we're going to look at taking a stand and, and look, pull some history into it. And, and it's an important part of the Easter story because, you know, you could look at the Easter story really as a story about taking a stand. That's what it really is about. Christ takes a certain stand, and it's a stand for love. And it always begs the question in my mind, like, well, how did he get killed because he stood for love? That's because love can be disruptive. When we really start loving people, it will require of us. Listen to this. When we really start loving people, it will require of us to take a stand. But it'll be a stand in a very different way than what we can imagine. I'm going to tell you the end at the beginning because I think it's that important to remember. A stand is about this. It's not about two competing versions of the truth going at each other. Not about two competing versions of the truth. It's about a surrender to love. Say that again. It's not about two competing versions of truth. It's about a surrender to love. Now, where we've been doing, where this sits in the series, we looked at the first part, breaking down and buying in. Then we looked at accepting rejection. Then we looked at Kim and John Smith. Were they good last week or what? You know, I, I just, I went through and I, I listened to the podcast. It's actually hard to sort of hear when you're over on the side. Again, I, I highly recommend you take a look back on our Vimeo archives to take a look at what they had to say. Very profound. For a couple who lost a, a beloved daughter to cancer, 11 years later, they ride a bike across the country. What did they learn? That's what last week was about. And this week is about taking a stand. Next week, we close it all out with coming to life. Now, today what I want to do is I want to sort of leave you a sense of of how Christ makes us stand and and how he is constantly changing the context of how it is that we make stands. And, 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 you know, Christ is really interested in, in again, like, like showing us the way. And we in this denomination see Christ and we see God with skin on. We see this as a lesson. God incarnate showing us that this is the way to do it. This is the way to move through your life, through those parts that are really challenging, where we feel called to sort of make a stand, but oftentimes we're defending the wrong hill. It's known as the hill of being right. That's not really the hill to defend. The hill to defend is the hill of being loving. Two very different things. Now the context to this story, remember this from shop class, eighth grade boys? What is this? This is a C-clamp, you know, or in shorthand, we would just call it a vice, right? It's something we'd use to clamp something. What we're going to see in this story as we look today is Christ sort of caught between two places. He's caught on one hand, he's caught on one hand in a very, very deep way between the civil authorities at the time. Those were the Romans, and the Romans' big thing was we just got to make sure there's no revolution here in what was then, what today is modern day Israel was today was back then ancient day Israel. We got to make sure there's no revolution. This is occupied territory. And then there were these religious authorities too. And they saw Christ as every bit as much a threat as we all do when, when love really becomes this, this worry and, and concern that what happens if love actually gets out there and gets out of control? 
You know, what happens if somebody comes along and starts talking about a love, but it's, but it's not just sort of a nostalgic love. It's, a, it's an agape love. It's a self-sacrificing love. It's a, it's a love about reaching down to the, to the poor and the marginalized and, and, and those on the outskirts of society, about reaching down into there. And that can be very unsettling. Not just back then, but very unsettling even in our lives today as we move to learning how to be that kind of loving. Now, it's interesting with how this trial takes place. Christ is brought before the Roman governor, a man by the name of Pilate. And he's put on trial, like Pilate has sort of this private trial with him where he brings him into question. People were asking for him to be executed and Pilate is the Roman authority. He's the only person who can do that. So he needs to hear this man out. And that's where we pick up this story. Take a look at this line from John 18. So Pilate asked this question. We have to say the D word at the end. What is it you have done? So he brings him in. He's not, you know, Pilate's just, he's just the governor. He's like, what have you done? What did you do? Tell me what you did. And I want you to hear these words here as Christ goes through it. And you see Christ here. He's constantly changing the perspective. Pilate's asking for this kind of combative truth. And Christ is constantly shifting it over into something else. Look at this line. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Please say the if word loud. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. That's really powerful. Here's Christ saying, like here's this man with with at his fingertips, at his fingertips, immense military might, the whole might of the Roman empire at his fingertips, right there. And it wasn't at this time like you, you, you had real strict command and control and the internet and all that stuff. Like he could make the decision whether this man lived or died just like that. And Christ goes, look, Pilate, look. If I really wanted to fight in the way you want me to fight, I could. I'm choosing differently. I'm not playing by this game. I'm not playing by these rules. I'm playing by rules that are much different, much greater, much, much more significant than what you can imagine. Again, shifting the context. So Pilate goes on. You are king then, said Pilate, because that was the the charge was treason. You're king then. Then you're saying you're the king. You're saying that you're in charge. You're saying you're going to bring down the Roman Empire. Again, what do we see Christ do? Change the context. Jesus answered, you say that I am king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. In other words, incarnationally, I'm going to live that truth. I'm going to let the real truth, the God-given truth of human existence, I'm going to let that shine through in my life. I am going to let my life speak. And remember this, real important, a beautiful quote. Henry David Thoreau, what you are, scream so loudly in my ears, I don't hear what you're saying. And Christ is the very embodiment of that truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And it's, it's, it's great kind of, you know, just even look at that first line. That, that's such good stuff, you know, and, and they say you're king and he's like, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, that's what some say. Again, 
but you get the sense of that's not the battle that he's fighting. That's not what he's out to do. And to this, Pilate asked this incredible cynical question. And it's, it's a question I think that reverberates. It's a question we need to keep coming back to because I certainly can speak for me that sometimes I go to this place. I feel like as a culture, sometimes we go to this place. This very simple question. Can we say it together? What is truth? And he just, you know, he's not asking that question. He's telling the question, what's truth? Come on. There's nothing true. You know, and don't we know that? You know, where 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 we either know people, and I would imagine for for all of us, there's that part in ourselves that just like nothing's true. Nothing's true. The only thing that matters is is how I feel in a particular moment, or the way the power is, or or the way my bank account looks. That's the only thing that's actually truth. And that's pretty. That actually ends up being pretty thin soup, I think, in our lives. When we live this question, when we live the question, what is truth, just in sort of a cynical way, it's very hard to actually make progress in life. It's a little like trying to navigate with a compass where you keep on going, how do we know that's north? Hard to do. Hard to make movement hard to change, hard to move forward, hard to find those places in life where, where, where that truth will actually help us to guide our lives, will help us to move forward, will help us to find the flow, will help us to find the dance in life. So now we see with a C-clamp, a vice, we see a second piece that Christ gets caught between. So Pilate has this relativism like, what's truth? What's truth? And outside, outside of this trial, and if you picture the trial happening in an office and literally out, outside of this office, there's people chanting for Christ to be crucified, led by the religious leaders at that time. You know, and, and again, I, I want to say, like, religious leaders, a lot of the time, they have a challenge because when somebody comes along and says, like, look, there ain't no middleman, that can be a threat sometimes to institutionalized faith. And they clearly saw Christ as a threat that way. So he's kind of caught again in a vice. Here's that relativism and here's the mob rule. That mob rule, and, and it's important for us to understand that with, that with mob rule, like, like there's, a, there's a challenge there. Sometimes people are not very smart. Sometimes I'm not very smart. Groups of people are even less smart. You know, we've all been part of that, right? I'm sure we were part of a group sometime where it just like, like the group momentum went a certain direction and it just left us mortified. But maybe we couldn't stop it. Maybe we even participated. Be that bullying or, or, or something else where like that mob piece, that, that fear overcomes us. And what we start to do is we start to be able to identify. We, we can't agree on what we're, what we're fighting for in our lives, but we can't agree with this enemy. We can look at that enemy focus all our attention there. And it's so easy. The easiest conversation to have in the world, and I think this is painful, maybe this is just me. The easiest conversation I can have with people is about what I hate. Ouch. Takes a lot more work to talk about what I love, what I'd be willing to sacrifice for, what I'd be willing to give my life for. 
It's a tough one. So there's these two vices coming together, these, these two pieces that are just knocking at each other. And here is Christ, and he's continually saying, like, I refuse to be here. I'm not going to put myself in that vice. This is going to do, and he's so clear about this, he's been clear about it for years before this. This is going to do what this is going to do. But I'm here to speak to a different kingdom, a different world. And it's like, like when, I, when, I, when I work with people pastorally, so much of the time they've got life set up this way. And I feel so much of the Christian message isn't trying to figure out the answer in here. Once you're stuck in here, you're stuck. It's how do we figure out a whole new way to live, a new dance, a new way to see the world. And and even in the times that are incredibly hard, how do we do that? So are we ready for our history lesson? Could you give me a big yes? Yes. Yes. So 50 years ago, a couple of weeks ago, 50 years ago, 50th anniversary, it was the crossing of the Edmund Pettus Bridge in what city in Alabama? Selma, Alabama. I want to show you a picture about that. I, I'm going to count to five. I just want you to look, like really, really look at that, that picture. And kids, what I, you know what I want you kids to do? In the teens back there? I want you to look at the hands. Look at the sets of hands. Just take five seconds. Just look at that. Now, what's happened here is that this, this, this massive march has come over the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And all these people want, they don't want to overthrow the government. They just want discrimination to end. They want to vote. And their view of love allowed them to put themselves in these positions where they knew they could be hurt. But where they had to learn to take a stand. And to the left are the police. And the police are meeting. The bridge comes over like this. And the police are coming like this. And, and, and there's going to be a confrontation. And do you all see the guy holding his nose there? He's holding his nose because he knows they're about to like discharge tear gas. And, and folks, like, look at the hands. Look at the hands. Crazy. Which one's making a stand? Makes you think, right? And I think if I could show this picture back then and I could show it to Pilate, you know, I say, Pilate, which one do you identify with? He'd be like, oh yeah, the guy's on the left. And maybe Christ and his disciples would come to a point where they'd go, yeah, I'd identify to the ones on the right. Which one do you identify with? And see, it's a little bit of a trick question, actually. Because... I know I'm not mean enough to be on the left. I'm just not a real mean person. I'm not going to hit anybody with a stick. But here, if I'm totally honest, I'm not brave enough to be on the right. I don't have that kind of courage. Way too much worry. You know where I'd be? I'll show you. Right back there. Hey, I got your back. All of you who would do that, please raise your hand. Right? Of course, that's exactly where I'd be. Now, now I wouldn't be cheering on the police. I'd be like, in my heart, I'd be like, oh, I so wish I could make that stand. I so wish I had that kind of courage. 
and I can't do it. And I'd make up the excuses. I got bills to pay. I got kids. I got a congregation. I got this and that and the other. You know, I make up my reasons why I couldn't do it. But I'd be watching from the sidelines. Now, here's just a funny one. Just, just imagine somebody seeing that. Can we flip back to the back picture? The picture right before. To get back to it. Imagine, imagine again, like, you know, I picture the grandkids of the people on the right going like, yeah, grandpa, that was so cool. You know, that, you were the man. And then I picture like some poor grandkid going, grandpa, is that you back there by that old car? And he's going, no, <laughs> no, bad, bad picture. Bad picture. I think we need to learn about what it is to make a stand. Because we see those same, that same kind of trinity happening in the Easter story. Now, obviously, Martin Luther King's civil rights movement is playing at this level. Christ is playing at a cosmic level. But again, he plays at that cosmic level so that we can see what to do in our actual lives in ways that make, listen carefully, in ways that make Easter more than just colored eggs and white chocolate, which is far better than milk. You know, to actually have Easter, actually have meaning to it, gravitas to it, a call embedded within it. As the band comes out, I want you to think about what that new dance could be, about what it might actually look like to live into that different place to maybe shift in a way where we take the appropriate stands in our life and we, and we do it in this Easter context. We're able to shift the context away from competing views of the truth and learn one of the greatest surrenders we any of us can learn in our lives, which is the deep, rich, rewarding surrender that's the surrender into love. It's a, it's a beautiful idea, like, and I think it's, it's so much like God speaking to us, saying, you know, he hopes that we dance, and he, he hopes that we learn this, and it's not an easy dance. I mean, last week we talked, you know, about those three things, and, and I know at least one person in here remembers the three, and I don't want to call Deke out, but Deke, could you shout all three out? Blessed, broken, shared. You know, that the blessed, broken, shared, you know, that that, that is life, and, and that's the dance that we get invited to, but it's a beautiful, beautiful dance. And that doesn't mean, of course, that there aren't hard moments. Like, look at this very famous painting from Easter, and there's Pilate in, in white, there's Christ to the left, and there's the mob out there. You know, and again, remember with the mob, like the mob would have had disciples in it, would have had a lot of mean, angry people looking again to identify an enemy because that's the easiest thing we can do. But there also would have been people standing in there just like you and me, just mortified that this was happening to a man who made such a clear stand for peace, for love, for connection, for reaching out to those in need. How does the story go on? Well, I'll take a look at this next part right here, the second part of the context. And here, Pilate, you see him like leaning out into the audience and he shouts out, shall I crucify your king? Because again, 
Did he know what truth is? Yes or no, hint it's no. Did he know what truth is? No, he's like, I don't care what truth is. Truth's not important. There's no standard to live my life by. There's no true north. So he sort of takes a vote. Shall I crucify your king? Shall I crucify your king? And look at this. I'm gonna have you say the C word there. We have no king but Caesar. The chief priest answered. That just tells you how, how crazy the context was. And, and you know, in the new church, we read stuff sort of poetically and how crazy we can get too. We should all say we have no king, the G word here, we have no king but God is what they should have said. But no, it's no king but Caesar, whatever Caesar means. You know, he was the head of the Roman Empire at that time. What does that mean for you? Where's that showing up for you? How can we move beyond just that kind of of way of, of viewing life? And this is the most significant thing I'm going to tell you all church service. If you're taking pictures, this is the slide to take a picture of because I think this is where that change can take place, where what Christ is really talking about. Take a look at this. It's about a surrender to about a surrender to love, not about competing versions of the truth. It's about a surrender to love, not about competing versions of the truth. That is really big. Like I was, I was telling the sermon, you know, as we were gathered before church today, you know, sort of our sermon volunteer team. And, and it, there's a lot of truths I feel like I, that we give. And, and sometimes it's just about comfort or, or inspiration. This one, if you let it into your DNA, can actually shift your life in dramatic ways. Because this is the danger. This second slide here, this is the danger. Competing versions of truth is the way to hell. And I'm not talking like if you're, because we all have competing versions of truth. I'm not talking about like, if you're doing that, you're gonna go to hell. I'm saying like, if you're doing that, you are in hell right now. Folks, imagine this. Like, like a lot of us in here have, have relationships and, and, and we put that relationship in this vice, in this C-clamp, and we get two competing versions of the truth, right? And they're both like counteracting each other. What eventually happens to the relationship? What happens? It gets squashed. It gets squashed. It gets crushed. It won't, this won't work. And I see that over and over again. I, I know I see that in myself. Again, one of, the, one of the great things about doing a lot of pastor work with marriages is that, of course, you can spot it better in other people than yourself. So... <laughs> So I get to practice what I know to be true. Don't do it so well at home all the time, but at least I can see it in other people. God, don't strike me dead. You know, but, but you really can. Because oftentimes two couples will come in and, and they'll be like, they're worrying, and, and they sort of want me to be able to determine they're between these two warring versions of truth, which one's right and which one's wrong. The problem is, is they both think they are right. And I feel like, not worth it bad neighborhood. Don't go there. It won't work. We can argue all day long. I mean, folks, imagine some of you, even with the last 24 hours, raised your voice in anger with someone you loved over a competing version of the truth. I'm channeling Dr. Phil here. How well did that work for you? Never seen it work. 
And yet we try it again and again and again and again. What ends up happening is that we can actually find power, find power as we shift that perspective and surrender into love. That's, what does that surrender into love look like? Well, it looks like things, some of which are very mundane, some of which are very powerful. It looks like a group of 12 piece, people going down to Rosa's Fresh Pizza in Center City to buy pizza and feed the homeless. Thank you for doing that yesterday. It, it looks like in the face of violence, where our natural reaction is this, and instead we make our reaction this. We just say, look, there's actually a different context here. And we don't look at somebody standing like this. We don't look at this as a stand. But maybe it is. Maybe this is the stand Christ is actually asking us in a very explicit way to make. Even in the face of incredible violence, can we do that? Because I think there's redemption for all of us out there. I think there's resurrection out there for all of us. I believe love wins. I believe God wins. So even if you find yourself this, you know, back in the background, maybe, maybe, maybe that grandparent, maybe that story would have been different. Maybe there was somebody who looked back and went like, Grandpa, is that you? Or grandma, is that you? And they went, yep, that was me. And can I tell you a story? Sure. I learned a lot that day. I saw what love can do in the face of violence. I saw what love can do when it surrenders to God's leading. I saw what love can do when it takes a stand. I didn't make my stand on that day in 1965. But I like to think I've been making stands ever since. Maybe that can be our story. Maybe that can be the way the world starts to work. I really want to drive this home, especially for the young adults, so they can understand how deep and rich that is when you can say that and do that. Even if you found yourself on the sidelines most of your life, you can actually go into the stands and do something. Which is what we're going to see that these wonderful young adults did on this video. An inspiring story out of Kenosha, a student being bullied at a junior high school basketball game caught the attention of the basketball players. And those players walked off the court to defend her. Michelle Fiore reports from Kenosha. Well, this is where it all happened for Desiree Andrews. As she was being bullied from these stands, a couple of boys on the basketball team said, enough's enough. And that's where this bullying situation turned her life around. Desiree Andrews no longer walks to class alone. Students have been drawn to her after a situation that could have taken away this pretty smile. The kids in the audience were picking on Dee, 
So we all stepped forward. Andrews has Down syndrome. These three boys were in the middle of a game when they heard something upsetting directed at one of their cheerleaders, a girl who dances to her own beat. So when I heard that, they're talking about her like it kind of like made me mad. Basketball players stepped to action, walked off the court, and asked the bully to stop. It's not fair when other people get treated wrong because we're all the same. We're all created the same. God made us the same way. Dee and the boys are now eighth graders and last night played their last game in the gymnasium that they have affectionately dedicated to their friend. Are they calling it something special? Yeah. What is it? Dee's house. Dee's house? Yeah. How does that make you feel? Good. The athletic director tells us the name has stuck. He's planning to make a banner officially calling the gym Dee's house. What did your family think? I think they're sweet, kind, and awesome, and amazing. Sweet, awesome, kind, and amazing? Yeah. Well, Desiree's next step's high school. As for her future, she says she wants to be famous. We think she's already famous. In Kenosha, Michelle Fiore, today's TMJ4. She's pretty famous already. It's Dee's house. She is. I loved how those young men stepped up. Great job. Don't you love when she says, like, sweet, amazing. See, uh, we can make those stands. It's not all like the big stands that we saw in Selma, Alabama in 1965. It's about doing what we can, where we can, healing the worlds. We touch, taking stands as God asks us to take them. Which means, yes, sacrificially trying to understand what God is about. Being ready, folks, to actually surrender your lives. Ready for this? Surrender your lives to love. And I said this last week, I just feel called to say it again. Not surrender to them, to the, to the, to the God of all you need is more self-esteem. I'm calling out for something different. I'm calling out for that surrender to love. That's what this message is all about. That's what Christianity is all about. And church is about collecting so that we can support and inspire one another on what is and will be a very hard journey. Because ready for this, it is always hard to show up. Always hard to show up. Give me the guys on the side of the freeway any day. And God is always opening up for us the opportunities to do even more. So think about what it looks like in your life over this week, you know, to really let go in a relationship where it's just two combating versions of the truth. And really surrender yourself to love. Now, your partner might not. Pilate certainly didn't. But when we surrender to love, we offer this beautiful prayer. Listen to this. Lord, let it begin. Let it begin with me. Amen. I'm now going to offer a prayer. You have the opportunity to to, to listen to the prayer, to offer the Lord's Prayer after it in a silent way, or to say your own prayer. And again, as we do this, you know, if you can find space for a silent prayer for the child's family, for the loss that they're struggling with at this time, that's a stand we can take today. 
Lord, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you, Lord, for your love, your mercy that walks among us. Thank you, Lord, for that call to dance differently, Lord, and help us not just to learn how to dance. Help us learn how to fly. How to fly, Lord, in ways that give perspective. How to fly, Lord, in ways that also keep us grounded. Help to fly, Lord, in ways that, that, that bring forth our courage, our best selves, our ability to sacrifice into this world to make it a better place so that when we leave, we've left a legacy. A legacy of love. A legacy of surrender. A legacy that actually has made a difference in this world. Be with this amazing congregation, Lord. They are amazing. Be with the child's family, Lord. Let them know that they're held very gently by this congregation. By those in here who know and who love them and that we care. And help us, Lord, to fly. Help us, Lord, to be that in our lives. Help us to live into that, to follow you through that. Knowing it's hard, but knowing, Lord, there's joy there too. Sacrificial joy. In your name we pray. Amen. And if we could all rise for the final song as as you say a silent prayer. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.